uh, Amy was going to come with a question tonight, uh, and it ended up that uh, she's at a soccer game. Elle had an unscheduled, it's weird, that in high school they have unso- unscheduled soccer games. I've never heard of such a thing, but uh, they ha- they're having it right now up at the high school. So um, I'm glad, because I hate, I hate her questions always mess me up, so I'm glad she's not here. But anyway, <coughs> um, so question answered. Jeff, I believe Jeff is, Jeff, are you next week with the, your session? Yeah, so Jeff has a session next week, so you're going to want to be here for that. Uh, tonight I'm going to do a Q&A, and then after that we're going to do a short series on, after Jeff's session, we'll do a short series on, compare, I call it comparative religion. Really, it's just a quick study on cults and um, just kind of knowing uh, what's out there, what they believe, why, and what the truth is. And so we'll take about four weeks on that, and then we'll be back into some other studies. So anyway, this is our last opportunity for a while to do QA. So uh, load them up and shoot them. Any questions in reading? Any? No question is dumb or stupid, just a question you don't ask. Sounds like you're ready. Okay. Well, I'll give you time to, I'll give you time to look for that. Bob's going to run the mic back, so when you're ready, we're, we're ready. And in the meantime, we'll just have that tick-tock sound. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Yeah, all that pressure is mounting. I had one today. I'll tell you what, I'll take one real quick while she's looking for that. Um, and uh, I was going to run out. And if, uh, anyway, uh, I had, let me, I'll ask you guys this question. How, uh, this is a really good question. I know it, for most of you here, it's not, it's something you already know. But it, it, those are watching online or maybe even the person that came and asked me this question today, um, they're, uh, the question came in is, is how do we uh, make saints at our church? Have you, I've never even had that question asked. It was an interesting question. Um, let me ask you a question. Why would someone even ask that question? They were, they were reading in our, in, our, in our literature, right? Our mission statement says we exist to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God. All right? Good question. Uh, so if that's the case... How do we make saints? Right, we are. Right. So their 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 question really was um, yes. So their concept, let me restate that, was that a saint is someone that's venerated by the church. Uh, to become a special, uh, have a special dispensation, for lack of a better word, in heaven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so that was a really good question, though, because um, I was able to. So the, the next question is, where would you take them in the Bible to show them what the Bible says about that? I got a real simple verse for you. So if you don't know it, I will. I will bring you the answers. I, I started in Romans, and I found out Romans is not the best place to go for that. So I went to 1 Corinthians because I knew the introduction of most of the books, Paul says, to the saints. And it just so happens that really one of the better, better places to uh, just reveal this really simply for somebody who may have that mindset that saints are venerated by the church and they're not uh, born again or they don't understand the concept of being born again and becoming a saint. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is a good place to, to show that. 
it says there, um, I'll give you a second to get there, First Corinthians 1. And there's many places that we could go to, but this is really simple. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we know what he is. He's a sent one. He's an apostle um, through the, the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother. Now, of course, we know the apostles, there's requirements for the apostles. They had to be a, see the Lord's ministry and um, and be a part of that. And Paul was born out of due season, but he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and was also taught in the uh, wilderness in the uh, down in um, um, well, not he was from Tarsus, but um, Arabia. Thank you, Arabia. And so uh, he was a, the apostle of the Gentiles. All right, uh, but he goes on to verse two, and he says, "Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that are in every place, um, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus." or Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So right there he tells you that, um, and it really is pretty comprehensive. First he says, the church of God, which is at Corinth, um, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, uh, called to be saints. So right there is where, you know, everyone that is in the church is called to be a saint. But not only those in Corinth, he says, with all that that are, that in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, not only is saved, Romans 10, right, uh, 9 and 10, but they're also saints, uh, both theirs and ours. So they become sanctified and set apart for God's use by virtue of calling upon the name of the Lord. Uh, and so, and I know a lot of you guys know that. It's interesting, though, because in our circles here, uh, we just ta- I just take for granted people understand that. And uh but that don't don't assume that people even understand that that is the what a saint is because there are some people who are taught and some churches teach that the church actually venerates saints and uh, and that they have a special uh, they basically give them a special dispensation I call it a dispensation a special uh, I don't know if there's another way to articulate it but um, uh, a standing a special standing uh, in in heaven actually. And so, in reality, you have a special standing in heaven because you're a saint. You're born again. So that's uh, that was a question that came in today, and I, I was able to answer that one. So that was quick and short. Did that give you time? She's still looking. All right. It should be. Is so it's the verse in it's in Matthew 17, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there, where it talks about. Because many are called, but few are chosen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can mm-hmm. you explain that? Or if you could find that, tell me where it's at. Yeah, well, we can find that. Um, many are called, and few are chosen. It's Matthew 22, verse 14. So, Matthew 22, we we see uh, Jesus <clears throat> um, is uh, sharing sharing the word here. He says in, in, Jesus, in verse one, it says, "And Jesus answered and spake unto the again, unto, again I'm sorry, 
unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Uh, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Uh, when uh, then uh, he then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as uh, ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So shall the servants. Uh, so this, I'm sorry. So. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king uh, came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then, <clears throat> uh, then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. Uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. All right, so this is your question. is Who is this talking about in verse 14? Many are called, but few are chosen, which is a great question. Uh, this is a, is a verse that uh, you know we, we use, and Calvinists like to use this as well. Uh, and so um, this is a verse taken out of context a lot as well. And so... Um, this is a really good passage because Jesus, first of all, I don't want to, I want to try to keep this as simple as I can, but there's a lot here. Um, there's a ton right here that Jesus is, he's, he's downloading. So first of all, let's just talk context. Uh, each one of the, each one of the four gospels is, is a, uh, you can see, uh, Jesus <clears throat> presented in four different ways. Uh, Matthew, uh, he's a king. It's a gospel of the kingdom. Mark, he's a servant. Um, and so uh, in, in Luke, he's a son of man. So he's presented as a man. That's why there's so much detail about him on the cross, his crucifixion, all of those details, sweating like blood, drops of blood, all of that. And then John, uh, he's the son of God, right? So you have a different perspective on Jesus, all, all four of those perspectives in each one. So it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of Jewish connotation to the book of Matthew. And um, it's interesting, too, because here he's giving a he's talking about uh, this marriage. Um, and we talk and this is this is prophecy, by the way, uh, that he's talking about. And and he's dealing here with um, <clears throat> what's going to happen in the in the millennium. But he's also given some history on what's already happened. So uh, let's just kind of run down through this. Uh, and look at it. It says, in G- let's just start again and just kind of slow roll this thing, give you some keys to, to study it out. Uh, and we'll stop in verse 14. It's, and Jesus answered and spake unto them. So you got to ask yourself, who's he talking to here? Um, and we know because when you get to verse 15, and, and, and then, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And, they, and so he's talking to the Jewish leadership here. 
If you back up to chapter 12, uh, it says there in verse 45, uh, And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. Uh, but, But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. All right, so Jesus is directly dealing with the leadership because this, he's the king, um, and uh, this is his kingdom. And so uh, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. It says in verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, speaking of kings, which made a marriage for his son. Um, and so uh, we don't have to wonder who God's son is. That's Jesus Christ. So there's a marriage coming. We would find that uh, alluded to uh, in Revelation chapter 19 uh, as it's associated. Now we're jumping ahead through all of church history going into the Daniel's 70th week. At the end of that, then there's this marriage supper prophesied in Revelation chapter 19. So uh, let's, just, let's just pause here, put a finger here. Let's just go back real quick and, and look at that for just a moment. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about this. It gives me a chance to, to let you know. One of our principles of Bible study is to change uh, something if you once you see it differently. And I have this. This I do have a little more. I believe I have a little more light on this subject than I used to have. Um, in Revelation 19, um, this is the second coming of Christ. Very clearly, I, I won't take time to go through every verse, um, but I, I want to get to the marriage supper part. Um, but the um, if you start in verse well let's just start in verse one it says after these things I heard a great voice of uh, of much people in heaven saying Alleluia salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God for uh, true and righteous are His judgments for He hath judged the great whore that did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand the great whore isn't mentioned in Matthew 22 because that's not what he was talking about. He was dealing with Israel. Um, of course, Greg or uh, uh, what's his um, George Grace makes the the, uh, the case that Israel is included in that, and in some cases that could be, but that's another Bible study. All right, and so going on, verse three, and again they said, "Alleluia!" And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God and, and all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and the voice of the mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Uh, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready so the lamb is getting ready to get married and and lo uh, i'm sorry and to her was granted uh, that she should be arrayed in, in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints there's that word saints popping up again and he saith unto me right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true sayings of god and I, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren, and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All right, so you see here after this, heaven is opened, and Jesus returns on a, on a you know, white horse. And uh, when you get to the verse 17, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, 
And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of, the, of in the midst of heaven, "Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that set on them, and the flesh of all men." both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet and wrought miracles before him uh, uh, with which he deceived them. And he had received the mark of the beast and then that worshipped his image. Uh, these both were cast alive into a lake burning with uh, brimstone. And the remnant were slain, and the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, is, uh, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's pretty. It's a pretty uh, vivid description of, of how things are going to go uh, at the second coming of Christ. All right, so what's that got to do with the marriage? Well, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb, um, and then there's these that are called to come at that, to that marriage supper. And so... Um, in verse 9, you know, there's those that, uh, the saints, there's the bride, um, which I would submit to you as us, we're the bride of Christ. But then there's also attendance. And you can see that, not just here, but, um, you know, there, there's other prophecies that Jesus put forth about the, the virgins being ready uh, for this occasion as well. Um, and so um, what we see here, going back to Matthew 22, is, um, you know, this is all going to tie together. It says, and he sent forth his servants in verse three to call them. This is 22, three, uh, to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. All right. So he's calling forth servants. Um, now, um, he says in verse four, again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come into the marriage. But they made light of it and, and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And then he says this word in verse 6 is important. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So I want to, I want to just back up to verse 2 and remember a phrase here that we, we study. And I think some of you guys are familiar with this. Uh, this this word or this phrase, kingdom of heaven. So what is the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of, of God? What's that? Yeah. When you hear kingdom of heaven, you kind of think, well, that's spiritual. But actually, this is the physical promises And it's really, it's stewarded, it's given to Israel, right? Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the covenant that he's made with Israel. So, and there are covenants in the Bible, just not covenant theology. Okay, so it's, it's, it's Israel's covenant. So that would go through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This includes, uh, the, the, this includes, you know, Israel proper. It also includes governance earth 
uh, from Israel. The 12 tribes will, will be the primary nation on the planet. Um, and by the way, they are. And the times of the Gentiles are rolling to a, a close right now. And it's whether you, you don't see it on the news, but that's everything that's going on right now, ESG, repositioning of currency, uh, everything that you see going on is just a re, is just everything is moving. Eventually, it's going to the epicenter is going to be Israel and uh, and these prophecies. But let's just slow roll this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. The kingdom of God is spiritual. And the definitions for this are found in the New Testament. Um, and I, I off the top of my head, I there's uh, one in, in the there's each one of these in the Gospels. Uh, this is we read last week about how this is taken by force. Um, that reference is escaping me. The kingdom of if you look it up on your phone, you can find it. Kingdom of heaven is taken by force, and the kingdom of God can't be seen. Uh, why? Because it's spiritual. And so there's two different aspects. Now both of these roll into uh, this is also important. The kingdom. Right, that that would include both, and Jesus rules over both. That's why it's a little confu- it's confusing, because when Jesus Christ comes at his first coming, he's present he's the king of the kingdom, and he's presenting it. And partially, and this is a good discussion. This issue of the marriage supper helps us understand why there is a distinction between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, because that's how God continues to go forward in his redemptive plan. By spiritually redeeming his bride, his kingdom of God, while he puts this one uh, on hold uh, until uh, the upcoming fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, which is just, which may commence quickly. I may not even, you know, we, we may not make it out of the day today before we're out of here and that's all underway. But anyway, um, so, so he's the king of both. He's offering both. If it would have went down the way... He offered it. He brought it to Israel. That's why he came to his own, and his own received it not. He wasn't. He wasn't trying necessarily just to go to the Gentiles, though he knew that would happen. That's why it, within the, the Old Testament, there's the pictures and types of Ruth and all of those things. But he was. He was still. He could have, and he would have worked through Israel if they would have received him, and they would have stewarded both aspects of his kingdom. But they didn't. And one of the things, the reason I bring that up is because in verse two, he mentions the kingdom of heaven is. Is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. God is preparing a bride for his son. Um, and that bride is us, the bride of Christ. But before that happened, he's laying this out. And he gets down here to verse um, 5. And he says, well, verse 4, he says, But he, uh, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my, my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are, are killed, and all things are ready Come unto the marriage, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, which is telling, because you had a, a man, John the Baptist, uh, which is you, as you end the book of Malachi, we just talked about this. I think Caleb brought that question up last week, right? And he's asked, you know, and he's mentioning Elijah. And last week at the Bible study, we talked, we saw how that Jesus Jesus said, um, John the Baptist will work for Elijah if you will receive him. Right, I'll get this party started if you guys just receive them, but they didn't receive them because they were covetous, and they wanted their fields, they wanted their finances, and uh, they they were not focused on the purposes of God and Him and and God's redemption plan for His Son to have a bride. 
And that's what verse 5 is talking about. And so they treated his servant poorly and his servants poorly. Um, and, of course, we know historically they, every one of those apostles became witnesses. And that every one of those witnesses died a martyr's death except for the Apostle John. But that's not because history says they tried to boil him and uh, he wouldn't burn. Right. So, you know, they tried to kill him. They tried, you know, they just couldn't kill him because God protecting. That's the, that's what the historical account says. Um I don't know, but he died on the Isle of Patmos, and that's where the book of Revelation was. So other than John, every one of them was a martyr. So they didn't really care for the servants um, of the Lord. Um, moving forward, so he says in verse 6, and he brings up this word remnant. And the remnant took his servants and then treated them spitefully and slew them. Um, and so, you know, that's that's historically what's happened to the prophets, that's what happened to John the Baptist. That's what happened even in Jerusalem, uh, the persecution of the apostles. They have not received the gospel. Even as recently, we were just talking about last week um, how they were talking about, by the way, they did not pass the legislation to ban preaching the gospel uh, in Jerusalem, but it does come up, right? Um, there are some Jews in Jerusalem to this day. If you go and preach Jesus, they're going to they'll put you down, right? So, uh, they are still not very warm to this concept that God's son has a bride and is calling everybody who will come. But moving on, uh, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his army. So now we jump. We're fast-forwarding, right? We just gone through. We just skipped over 2,000 years of history and landed in Revelation chapter seven, or chapter 19, in verse seven. We land, we just we just got to back back to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and, and burned up their city. Now, um, historically, this has kind of been repeated in types. So just history is amazing how it kind of repeats itself. So the whore that's mentioned in Revelation 19 is mystery, Babylon, religion, the mother of harlots, right? And so he just, what we saw very vividly and clearly, and if you read Revelation, you cannot miss it. Revelation 17, there is a uh, political and a spiritual uh, a Babylon. Um, and so um, that gets destroyed before he comes back. Um, that's where, um, just a segue out there for any of y'all listening that are in the LFF crowd. And, uh, you know, there was a quite consterna- a bit of consternation a few years ago when uh, one of the pastors, you know, supposed that as he looked through the scriptures that Israel was really the harlot or the, the whore because we all know, and we do, and I will say this, we all know who the whore perdition is. I, you cannot miss it. The seat in the synagogue of Satan is clearly centered in Rome. It is. Uh, however, if you read Revelation chapter 17 and 18, part of the deal when the Antichrist comes into power is he ride the woman? He rides in on the woman, right? The woman rides the beast, so they're using it. He has a mutually beneficial relationship with. So just like Jesus has his bride, God has prepared a bride for His Son. Well, guess what? Satan emulates everything God does, and he has a bride, but his bride's a whore. She's a harlot, and her his and she's also religious. If you hear what I'm saying on Sunday morning. What I'm talking about on Sunday morning, that paganism, those those deities that, that the Egyptians were following, are the same pagan deities that are associated 
with Babylonian religion and Greek religion and and I've even alluded to that some of them are literally literally taken right up into the Greek Greek and Roman religions and became interesting we start off with saints and some of them have been converted into quote Christian saints and are worshiped to this day and so um and so that pantheon of pagan deities is still being worshiped and the seat in the synagogue of satan is is traceable historically um but let me back up to 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 babylon and i'm going somewhere with this so you're gonna have to hang with me here uh and and i'm saying i'm saying something and i, I hope i don't have time to lay out all the, the verses right now but if you study the seven churches of revelation there's a reason that god touches on pergamus pergamum because that's the one of the keys to tracing how the seat in the synagogue of satan moved through atlas and i think it was 136 bc or whatever it was um uh when he exchanged when the, when the when he exchanged his seat uh for uh with rome i mean rome bought it and so the 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 uh the regia is what it was called the college of cardinals that existed before there was ever a roman catholic church it was a pagan babylonian priesthood that priesthood was taken to rome uh under the roman empire it was actually initially in pergamus and then it found its way to rome so i'm i'm very confident when uh, you know god you know there's the city sitting on seven hills and all of those things too that we can talk about but every all all everything is just is self-evident actually throughout time that's 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 mystery babylon religion and when it isn't in rome it was in Pergamum, and when it wasn't in Pergamum, it was in Babylon. And when it wasn't in Babylon, it was in it was in Assyria. When it wasn't in Assyria, it was in Egypt, right? And it was just it's just been affecting it's been infecting humanity from the flood forward, you know. And so, um, mystery Babylon religion, mother of harlots. All right, I bring that up because that's what that's not in verses six and seven. You don't like you're like where are you seeing all that, right? Well, it's in it's in it's really it's in it's in Revelation. Right, and all the keys to that are given in revel- the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we get all kind of all the filler back at the end of the New Testament that helps us understand that. And so Satan has a synagogue. Also in the seven churches, you're told he has a he has a doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So he has a priesthood. He has a synagogue of Satan. Interesting, it's not a church. It's called the synagogue, complete with a priesthood. Right, and so. Um, and all of that's, you know, okay, those are his historical facts. There's a lot of people, especially the days we get closer to the end times, uh, who will get up on YouTube channels and just, you know, tell me I'm an idiot stick. I'm a dispensational Darwin, uh, Darby, not Darwin, Darby, uh, Darby believe in dispensationalist, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, listen, the Bible is the Bible and human history is human history. Everything I'm telling you guys is in the Bible and it is also verifiable in human history. And so I'm not, this isn't stuff I'm just like pulling out of the air or like in some mystical, maybe this is how I take it. Now, this is, this is what's happened. So let's just look at this a little closer. So in verse 7, it says, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, interestingly enough, in history, this has happened. Uh, in, in, there's the city that gets burnt um is also mentioned uh in in revelation um 
I'm not going to go there for time's sake, but and this is where and this is where I could agree with um, with um, George Grace because as 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 in Revelation 17, as as the whore perdition rides the beast into power. And there's a political leader with a religious arm that takes power over the kings of the earth. That's that's what Revelation six is all about. Comes in as peace, peaceful, but then there's a war. And as we haven't even gotten close. We're not even close to the end of that seven year period. We're just that's how we get started. That's the beginning of sorrows. All right. We find in and you can just look here real quick with me in Revelation seventeen. And sorry, uh, I'm getting to your answer, so hang tight. In Revelation 17, this is the difference between Jesus Christ and his bride and Satan and his bride. Um, we'll just start in verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come uh, hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, this isn't talking about Israel. This is talking about everybody on earth has been affected by this whorish woman. So he carried me away. By the way, when you read Revelation or Proverbs chapter 6, and you're dealing with that whorish woman, there's a lot of parallels. And so be careful. Um, and it's about false religion. What's intoxicating is her religion and her money. She decks her bed and she draws men in and she's going to kill them. Okay, so verse, her feet are hooked on the depths of hell. Okay, verse 3. So he carried me into the, in, the, in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of the names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple, which is royalty, and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? And I I will tell thee uh, uh, the mystery of the woman and, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. Now the beast is the Antichrist, verse 8, And the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. There's a strong delusion coming to this planet. This leader, we're in a leadership vacuum, and there will be a man of sin who will rise up, and people are going to wander after him. Okay? Verse 9, and, there, uh, and here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads, you don't have to wonder what these are. It's defined. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Uh, and I would say that is Rome as well. Um, and there are seven kings which are fallen. One is, and another is not yet come. 
And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Um, and he and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and uh, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings for one hour with the beast. So there are some contemporary. So there's historic kings that have that this is in verse 10 that are talking about some some allot them differently um i have pharaoh sennacherib nebuchadnezzar uh cyrus alexandria atlas um uh and there's others that order them a little differently but these are the kings that have led to the iron mixed with clay prophecy in daniel if you go back and look at that uh, and then there's these 10 kings in verse 12 that are actually contemporary with the beast at the time um of of his ascension and, and that gives us some insight on what's going to happen to this whorish bride. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So she rides him in. These kings are using him to gain power. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. So now we're, we're jetting forward into uh, the Revelation, I mean, into Revelation 19. These are going to be around and, and make war with the lamb. Uh, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and they that are with him are called uh, and chosen and faithful. Answering some of your question there. Those that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Uh, and he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So those waters that she's sitting on, we're not talking about water. We're talking about peoples of the earth. We're talking about multitudes of nations and different tongues. This is a worldwide, very eclectic empire. Diverse, very diverse. Yeah, so diverse we should have a class on it. Anyway, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall... Now, these are the contemporary ten kings in verse 12. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to... These uh, these hate the whore. They don't really care for her. And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So he's going to take control of these kingdoms. And the woman which thou sawest is, the woman is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. All right. Well, my marginal notes say that is Rome. Uh, George Grace's marginal note says it's Jerusalem. So who's who's right? Well, this is what I propose. There's a mid, at the midpoint of the tribulation, the ascension of the Antichrist is is uh, he's indwelled, uh, and so he's wounded in his head, and it's a miraculous thing, and he becomes foe. Uh, you know, got on there. He become he's a man of sin. He 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 deceives the world into thinking, or at least some, that he is <coughs> the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he is going all the way. All the chips come in, and <coughs> it's at this point. You know, there's a star that falls from heaven. Revelation talks about. I believe when he's incarnate, he's indwelled with Satan. Satan is. <coughs> excuse me. Can you get up? is going to be limited 
and this is a whole study of Revelation, but I'll just give you the thumb note. There was a war in the third heaven. Uh, the Bible talks about that Satan wanted to exalt his Lucifer, the light-bearing um, cherub, wanted to exalt his um, self uh, equal to God. He wanted to be like the Most High, you know, he, all of that. And we know what happened. He was cast out. But we also know that he's active. <coughs> Excuse me, and he's been active. Thank you. Um, thank you, Bob. Um, he's been very active. So he's not in a lot of, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Satan's in, in hell. No, Satan is not in hell. He's the prince and power of the air, right? So he's got dominion over the second heaven, over the first heaven. That's why in Daniel, Michael the archangel is giving us some insight when he says, Daniel, as soon as you prayed, we heard, but we had some business to attend to, and we're fighting, the, and then we got to go fight the prince of Grecia. I mean, there's all this, like, this uh, heavenly warfare going on around these prayers and, and the will of God and, and what God is doing on earth with his pr- prophecy and these angels are trying to stand these fallen angels are standing in the way of it because you know there's there's a struggle over this planet and the inhabitants thereof and so um when you get to that midpoint my contention is that is when satan he goes all in uh and and he is uh and he's fully manifest in it as in that prophecy that we just read in revelation 17 he was and is and actually here in verse um uh verse 17 verse 8 yeah the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life. Um, that's, he's going to go in the bottomless pit, but that's not the verse I was looking for. Uh, oh, verse 11. Um, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven. And goeth into perdition, and and uh, and so just like Satan entered Judas, and Judas is the son of perdition, Satan will enter the the Antichrist, and he is the son of perdition, and is called that in Second Thessalonians chapter two, the son of perdition. All right, so um, so we know that. I believe at that point, um, if Rome is destroyed, and there's war made with her. It wouldn't make sense for Satan to coalesce his power, especially if he's a foe Christ, in the promised city, which is Jerusalem. So I guess what I'm saying is the mystery Babylon religion has moved from Babylon to Pergamos to Rome. It's To me, it's not a big stretch to see a deal made in this transition where the power of Rome is not also moved back to Jerusalem and in the midpoint becomes fully manifest when Satan is manifest as the son of perdition, or the Antichrist is manifest as the son of perdition. So uh, I don't think that's a point that that we should get too uh, exercised over. As we do know, all of us know, that certainly Jerusalem um, is spiritual Sodom and Egypt, is what God calls it, spiritual Sodom and Egypt. Now, we also know that it's the apple of his eye. 
Jerusalem is that's where the that's where the millennial reign that's where the that's where the kingdom of heaven promises will be fulfilled so what is it is it one is, which one is it well it depends on who's reigning there depends on who's ruling in 606 BC Nebuchadnezzar came in because God was tired of Israel's idolatry and hard-heartedness and allowed them to be overtaken by a gentile and he put them back but then you know there's been there's been a struggle over Jerusalem to this very day. I mean, when Donald Trump, this is not a political statement, this is a historical statement, so everybody leave your emotions alone for now. When Donald Trump moved the, the uh, you know, acknowledged as, as, as at that time, uh, the leader of the Gentile world, which, by the way, is probably one of the biggest offenses he probably ever made to the elites in the power, when he acknowledged that Jerusalem was the rightful capital of Israel. I don't care what anyone thinks about Donald Trump. I really don't. I'm not, this is not a political statement. That is like a, that is just as that is just as significant as when Harry Truman. Um, uh, so if you're mad at a Republican, you can go the Democrat. Uh, then when Harry Truman struck out Palestine, wrote in Israel, and said, "Boom! This is the charter for Israel, 1948." Those are big deals in prophecy, because um, Ground Zero is is going to eventually be Jerusalem. When Jesus returns, the Mount of Olives isn't located in Rome. It's located in Jerusalem. So for those who are like, how could you dare say that Israel could, or Jerusalem could be spiritual, or could be, could be you know, uh, this great city? Well, I do, de- I do think Rome is that city today. So just I want everyone to understand that. I do, I do think that the power today resides in Rome. But I also know in Revelation 18 that Rome... Is, this horror is going to be destroyed by the kings that are in league with the Antichrist as they all vie for power. And so um, when that happens, where's that power going to coalesce? So I think there's, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's room for, for a, another transition, just like there was from Attilus to the Ro- to Roman emperors. There's also from Rome Back to the Antichrist. There's, this is not you, this is not new in history. The, the the seat and synagogue of Satan has moved, which is part of what God reveals to us in Revelation. So we even know these things. So if you're listening out there, this is like Brian's theology roundtable tonight. So anyway, yes, sir. Uh huh. Mm. No, not know them. Yeah, her ways are movable. I, that's a great reference. I've never really connected that, but that's a. I need to mark that down. And her, her ways are hard to find out. Yeah, and so and which, by the way, just a shout out. That's why prophecy. I'm not. I'm not super dogmatic about that. I would not get mad about because this stuff hasn't happened yet, and there's lots of twists and turns, and we might not see everything quite clearly. But it getting back, it is actually relevant to what you're asking. Because you can see there that um, God's mad. He's upset. In, in Matthew 22, Revelation chapter 18, Revelation chapter 19, I mean, he has had it up to here. And here in Revelation 18, we're dealing with all the peoples of the world, right, and the kings of the earth. We're, we're not dealing with Jews. But in Matthew 22, we're dealing with Jews and this remnant. It says there in verse 6, 
uh, and, and, and now that we've had that little detour, verse 7, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and, those, and, and burned up their city. That city, is good. that city there is Jerusalem. Proverbs 5, 6, her ways, just quote that for us. Not in the NIV, please. <laughs> yep. Lest thou ponderest the... Here, thank you, Bob. I'll just say that on here so people... Because there's people watching online. Bobby and others. Lest thou... Sh- Shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, and that thou canst not know them. Yeah, and that's talking about a whorish woman. Uh, Proverbs 5. Yep. So her ways are movable. Which is, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, it is truth, so there's more than a lot. It is true. But anyway, um, okay, so when we get down here to verse 7 in, in uh, this city... In 70 A.D., uh, God, he burned up a city and leveled it. What city was that? Jerusalem, right? Uh, and so there's no temple there. He d- destroyed the temple. That temple is going to be rebuilt. We know that because that's how the abomination of desolation takes place. So for the abomination of desolation to take place in the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, there has to be a temple rebuilt. So we know there will be a temple rebuilt. Uh, I don't know, you know, if it's right after the rapture, right before the rapture. I don't know, but it's going to happen. There'll be a temple. In, actually, the plans are done. You know, I got a lot I could say about that too, but I won't get into that tonight. Um, and so that that religious system is going to be put in place, and it's also going to be perverted. Uh, and we know that from what Jesus says as you keep on going down through Matthew chapter 24, and He lays it all out for us. Um, so who are these that are called? Well, in verse 8, And he saith unto his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Right? That's his first coming. Go ye therefore into the highways, as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests now, these are the guests, uh, and I would submit to you these are in a, in a type, in a shadow, will be your tribulation Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the king came in to see the guests, and he saw there a man, and check this out, verse 11, a man which had not a wedding garment. Who's that? Satan. And he saith unto him, friend. Go do a word study on friend. Uh, how camest thou into hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And he and they said, then said the king to the to the servants, um, bind him hand and foot, and take him, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Who was chosen? The saints are chosen. Uh, now, this is just attending the wedding. We're the bride. These are the guests. So at the, at the wedding, you have you got the parable of the virgins. So you have at the wedding, you're going to have the virgins. 
Who are the virgins? That's right. There's 144,000 Jewish male virgins. 12,000 from each tribe. All right, so those those folks will be there. And then there's going to be guests. Who are the guests going to be? And this is actually where I was going to tell This is where I've, I've changed a little bit of my uh, timeline. I used to say because of the, in Revelation 19, and the appearing of the marriage supper of the Lamb there in, before the second coming, um, the way I, I, I viewed this and have taught it here, this is why I want to say this publicly because I, and next time I go through Revelation, I'll make this clear as well. But the way I have taught Revelation 19 is that, is that the marriage supper occurs, Revelation 19 and verse um, 8 and 9. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And because it falls there, and then the next thing we see is the second coming. I've always, I always just kind of in my head said, Oh, the marriage supper occurs because we go to the judgment seat of Christ. There's a marriage supper, and then we return. And you've probably seen it laid out that way by me and probably teachers that I've been under as well. Um, but, um, I do believe after studying this and really looking at this a little closer, the, and this is just since actually the, uh, about four or five, six, maybe seven years ago now, we did the prophecy conference out the living faith prophecy conference out at uh, new Philly, me and Greg Axe and Mark Trotter and, and Greg Axe laid it out that way where the marriage supper comes after the second coming. I was like, no, that isn't right. So I started studying it because that's the way I, I just hadn't seen it that way. And the more I've studied this and looked at this prophecy that you're talking about, along with the prophecy of the virgins, um, and then went back to Revelation 19 there, uh, I'm no longer just dogmatic about it being before um, that because some of the people that come, I believe, will come out of the millennium, some of these good and bad that is mentioned there in, in the Matthew. He talks about blessed are they. So he's the, but the, we, have the, we're, we have a supper um, after the wedding, it just after I thought about it, well, that does make sense. So we've consummated uh, in a in not in a physical way, but literally, we come back with Christ. Uh, we're married. We come back, and then we have a feast when He's ruling and reigning. And the hundred forty-four thousand are there. There'll be guests in the millennium that come, and then this dude shows up. And Jesus himself says, hey, friend, same thing he called Judas. What are you doing here? <laughs> Who invited you, pal? You have nothing to say. And he's cast. He's bound, which is what Revelation chapter 20 talks about, him being bound for a thousand years. So for a thousand years, he's bound. Because like Judas, he goes to his own place. So anyway, I'm just saying. So my timeline's moved a little bit on that. But getting back to your your question, who's called? Well, he tells us who's called. 144,000, the guests, which I believe are the the tribulation saints, the millennial saints uh, as well. 
mainly the tribulation saints that make it through the tribulation. Um, the, the millennial saints, those will become the millennial saints. So that'll all be worked out because there will be a remnant of people who live through the, the, the tribulation period. And so he returns, he establishes his kingdom. We are the bride of Christ. We're the sons of God. Uh, Israel is the bride of God. And she's invited those, those 12,000 Jewish male virgins are, uh, will also have a inheritance with the saints and we will have the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven now come together in one king and one kingdom on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. And now we understand. And so the meek shall inherit the earth. That's not us. We inherit Christ. He's our inheritance. So we get a spiritual inheritance, kingdom of God. These 144,000, they get a physical inheritance. By the way, the 12 tribes, have, have the apostles are involved in that, right? They have dominion over the 12 tribes according to the inheritance that they get. So they're kind of dealing with both kingdoms. That's an interesting little prophecy Jesus sets forth there. So there are people in the kingdom of God, like the 12 apostles, who are administrating aspects of the kingdom of heaven. As will we, as we are the bride of Christ, and our husband is the king of the kingdom. But anyway, and so at that marriage, there will be guests that come to... Many are called, but few are chosen. So he's inviting everybody. That's to get to your point. Uh, he call, uh, Just let me get to the New Testament, because this is no different. The most broadest appeal, one of the most broadest appeals that you'll find in, is in Acts chapter 17, which when I read this, you'll remember it. But when Paul is preaching there in Athens uh, to a very non-religious group, he he as he offers one of the broadest calls, right? Uh, in Acts chapter 17, and he said in verse uh, around verse 30, um, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Be, and notice what he says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Interesting that he is citing the day of the Lord. He's not like giving him a big gushy sermon like, God loves you, and Jesus died on the cross for you, and he wants you to come because he's a God of love. Now, that's all true, but he focuses on God's making a call to all of y'all to come because Jesus Christ is coming back, and uh, and he's really preaching that day and jesus christ is the king and you need to respond he calleth all men everywhere to repent and um because he's raised him from the dead and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked others said we will hear thee again and of this matter so paul departed from among them howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among the which was dionysus the areopagite and a woman named demarius and others with them and Paul didn't tarry, by the way. He turned off, and he turned and went straight on up to Corinth. He wasn't that interested in hanging around. And in, in, uh, it was a key city. If that was one key city, he wasn't that interested in for whatever reason. Um, but the point is, he makes this very broad call, and uh, <clears throat> and so he says, "God calleth all men everywhere to repent." 
well, you know what? This when we get to the millennium, um, you'll see who's repented and who hasn't. Now, Jesus, right now, of course, at that time, the way to that meant you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's just like today. It's the, that's the gospel. But once the once the uh, catching away of the church occurs, and we enter into uh, the dispensation, which is an old, te- the same Old Testament dispensation that was was underway at the coming of Christ, we'll be back. We'll be back under the Mosaic Law. Um, then uh, we'll be in the third heaven, going through the judgment seat of Christ. The earth will be going under the judgment of God. They will finally get the leadership they deserve. They rejected the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Israel will get the son of perdition. And many, many will receive that. Sadly. But not everybody. Which is when you get go ahead and read up into Matthew 24, right? Some of them... Uh, you know, are going to flee to the wilderness, right? They're going to take heed. They're going to under. They'll have the preaching of the two witnesses and the 144,000 Jewish male, and they will believe. So the gospel then is endure to the end and be saved. So a lot of them will be martyred, will be killed, will starve to death. Um, some will have supernatural, um, you know, protection as they flee to the wilderness and are probably fed just like the gospel, just like the hundred, just like not the 144,000, but just like the multitudes in the gospels. So in the tribulation, God will provide, uh, he'll carry his children on eagle's wings, whatever that means. And he will take care of Israel in flight, just like he took care of Israel in in his first ministry. There, oh, there's no, there, here, just, well, here, take these loaves and fishes and we're, we're going to keep the program going here. Don't worry about it. Just do what I tell you. You know, next thing you know, everybody's full. Right, so God's going to be able to do all of that to take care of His people, uh, because many are called, but few are chosen. You know, and so some are going to be completely um, uh, lost and going to perdition. And so uh, God's offering it to all, but not all receive the call. Many are called, but few are chosen. He's going to choose cho- in each dispensation. He He has saints that are redeemed, and so. Uh, there will be tribulation saints, just like we have saints today. The issue, the distinction is, um, is not salvation. That's that's what trips up the covenant the, theologians, is salvation itself. It's inheritance. Inheritance is distinctly different, and that's what they are blind to. Everyone just assumes we all have the same inheritance. We do not. That's why it's so incredibly important to receive the gospel of grace today, because the inheritance is 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 superior to any inheritance you're going to find in the Bible. Our inheritance is not the earth. The meek inherit the earth and all that. Yeah, that's true. That's what Rome claims. They claim the promises of Israel, literally. <clears throat> that's where all this is headed. Uh, that's why I just got an advertisement from the Illuminati. No joke. I got a, a form to fill out if I want to be part of the Illuminati. I got this on my web browser just yesterday. I'm like, what in the world? <clears throat> I don't know if it's real or not. I was like have tempted just to sign up to see where this goes but that's part of the going down the wrong rabbit hole so i'm like no i'm not going there but there's this website where you can it's not and it's not illuminati it's uh something uh society thing and it's it, anyway it, it uh takes you it uh it's all about everything that's coming it really is um and and there's all these testimonies on this website and it just is going to go down the road of stewarding the earth and all of that and that's that's really the fundamental flaw of of uh, the humanistic philosophies of the 20th century are really just turning into, or just are faux paganism of worshiping the earth. 
it's not really about is the, the arrogance that humans are able to control the planet is one stupid humanistic philosophy that's attractive to a lot of people that's that are godless um but then if you flip that the other side of that coin um is there are a lot of people who actually are pagans meaning they worship the earth and the gods small g um that can that they believe would control it and there's many of those as well which just sets you up perfectly for where things are going and the excuse to dominate uh, or to um to accrue power and control the earth uh, which is where we're headed very rapidly i think anybody with a brain can see that um and so we've been battling the united states is, has been one of the biggest problems in regard to that I, you know if i can get on my soapbox for just a moment i've, I've been around the world and when it comes to environmentalism and things like that, the United States is an outstanding example. I'm old enough to have been around, you know, when we were dumping toxic waste in the rivers. And I mean, back in the day, it wasn't good. I will be honest. I mean, we needed an EPA for a reason because, you know, you, know there, you do need to be a good steward of the planet um, for sure. So I'm not against conservation at all. I'm not against cleaning up. I've, I've worked for companies uh, where I've mapped uh, plumes of of, uh, of uh, toxic waste going through the soil toward daycares and stuff like that. I mean, that stuff's real. So that, that goes on. You do need to be careful with with all of that stuff. You need to, you need to be concerned about where your you know uh, your spent uh, uranium rods are going to be buried and stuff like that. That's important. You know, you don't want that in your backyard, um, and so on and so forth. And I'm not sure it's a good idea to truck it up and down the railways and stuff like that you know i mean so there's things that you gotta you need to be wise to having said all that america is the one of the best countries in the planet when it comes to cleaning up their act um and and monitoring those things and so on and so forth you go to india or china or anywhere else it's unbelievably um toxic i mean uh the conditions uh, we went to the paper plant in, in, in a, I won't say where, in a country where we minister. I'm sure Jeff's probably been there. Literally, you walk through, it makes you want to get sick just walking through the community because of the, 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 you can smell the uh, ammonia. And it's just so strong in the air. And, it, and you know, the groundwater, you know, this place is just saturated with chemicals. Unbelievable. People living in that mess. And, uh, yeah, there's no standards. Give me a break. Uh, the, the, the current the current limitations on the developed world are just are just excuses to get the carbon footprints down and take control of of some of the obstacles to a world agenda that's coming. And this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's what the Bible teaches is going to happen, and uh, and it'll be in an economic one too. So our job though is to preach the gospel until Jesus comes, and there is a devotional aspect to. To pre- in the sense that many are called, and we're, you know what, all men are called to repent. So we need to preach the gospel uh, to everyone so that they can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, because He is the rightful heir to the planet, and He is the and He is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. So um, uh, the meek inherit the earth; we inherit Christ. Hallelujah! That is, He is our inheritance. So that's a wonderful thing. We are that we are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and so. That's incredible. What an incredible promise we have. Um, so also in the millennium, um, uh, they will have the opportunity, which uh, the, the Gentile nations will then, um, Israel will, will be the primary 
nation that, that uh, Jesus rules from as the king of that, of that nation. Um, and the temple, all the Ezekiel prophecies, the, the water will flow out, the nations will be healed, literally. Um, all that will be literal. And uh, as much as you, we would think, oh, everybody's just going to come to Jesus because he's here on the planet, that's just not the case. Um, there will be, because he's prophesied it in the Old Testament, um, it won't rain on some nations because they won't come and worship. And at the end, there will be plenty of people who, when the Satan is loose for a season, will side up with him. So you will be able to see this prophecy recycle. As many are called, if you were chosen, and then that judgment, it's over. That's the great white throne judgment, and they will all be cast into the lake of fire forever. So in the millennium, even when Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, they will have the opportunity, uh, the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, we will already have our inheritance, by the way, uh, but they will have the opportunity to worship uh, God. The law will be back in force, and, um, and that will be the governing um, law of the land. And the Gentile nations will have the luxury of worshiping Jesus and have, and have his blessings as he will prove to be a benevolent, a very benevolent king. Uh, but even after coming out of, even after every eye seeing him and him splitting the Mount of Olives and him taking over Jerusalem and putting down his enemies and binding Satan for a thousand years and fulfilling all the prophecies of the Bible and, implement, and, re, and healing the earth, uh, doing all the environmental help that everybody wants to get done, he'll take care of all that. Uh, and, and all that, there still will be Gentiles uh, that say, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Because that will prove, um, once again, that even when Jesus is reigning uh, and ruling, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Uh, and they need a redeemer. And so um, they'll, be judged, uh, they'll be judged for what they do, uh, just like in the Old Testament at that point. Their faith will be manifest by their works. So if they really believe, they'll keep the law. If they don't, they won't. So it's a whole different thing because their faith is sight. So the whole thing changes. It's not like today under the age of grace. So, um, and that's a, that again is you can only understand that if you have a dispensational view of the Bible. Uh, and so, uh, we're going to have a class on a short class on dispensations in July, June coming up next not next month but the month well, at the end, next month yeah and we're in May so in June we'll have a little one night class on that. And then also this fall, just another advertisement, HBI, we will have a, I'll have an in-depth 16-week um, course on that subject as well. All right, so that's everything I've got to say about that. It would be good to look at the goat, the, the, uh, the goat, what am I trying to say, the, the sheep and the goat judgment. That also goes along with this very well. I hope that was, I hope that was kind of easy to understand. I don't know, but it is what it is. That is not dealing with the church age. I will tell you that. Although we can devotionally apply it because God is calling all men everywhere to repent and we preach the gospel. And today, you know, that's that's what we're offering is the, is the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. That's why, today, that's why, the, that's why again, when you go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, that's why God says that many will be deceived because they did not receive the love of the truth. They would not receive it, so they'll be beguiled um, <clears throat> by the Antichrist. And it says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Well, God allows that, 
with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. That's uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, that they might be saved. So if you don't get saved, that's why we say if you don't get saved today, your chances of getting saved in the millennium or in the tribulation are, we say slim to none, uh, but that's if you've heard the gospel and rejected it. There still will be saints in the tribulation. There's plenty of people today that haven't even heard the gospel. That's one of the reasons the rapture of the church is a judgment on us for not getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. So some people don't realize that. Hey, come on in. We're done. And uh, and so um, that's another Bible study question as well right there. So uh, the rapture of the church, while we should look forward to the catching away of the church and being with Jesus, it's also a judgment that we haven't accomplished the mission. And so uh, there will be tribulation saints. Uh, and there are unfortunately many people today that haven't heard the gospel. But those that hear it today and reject it, they're going to be beguiled. I mean, they're not going to, if you can't receive the love of the truth, you're not going to, you're not going to endure the end to be saved. You'll get sucked right into the, to the deception that's coming. Yeah. Amen. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. <clears throat> but we, right, uh, man, we're redeemed. So praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. So there's a lot. We're, how great a salvation, you know, what an incredible salvation we received through Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to, to meditate on these things. And we talked a lot about uh, end time prophecy and eschatology. Lord, we pray, God, that, uh, Lord, I, I know that's, I just kind of flew over a lot of concepts tonight. And uh, uh, Lord, I pray, God, that we just